Open your Bible to the book of James. Thank you, Caesar. Open your Bible to the book of James. Beautiful, beautiful song. Open your Bible to the book of James, chapter number one, verse number one. I want to talk this morning about uh, a different scenario than maybe we see on a regular basis, but also a scenario that we always find ourselves in. James was Jesus' brother, which is very interesting, uh, which means James probably spent more time with Jesus than any of the other disciples. So I find it very imperative to understand uh, what James has to say and how he has to say it. He was with Jesus all of the time. Uh, Jesus was his older brother. It's possible that Jesus, now listen to this, it's possible that Jesus knew every terrible thing about James. Yet James still chose to follow his brother. The Bible says uh, that a prophet doesn't have much honor in his own town, meaning uh, there's family members that you have that will never understand or appreciate the anointing that God has put on your life, uh, not because they're wanting to be wrong or anything. It's just difficult for them to recognize uh, what has changed in you from the little child that they knew growing up. So James followed after Jesus even with all these things. So Jesus has some kind of a magnetic draw that says, even if I know the worst in you, I'm going to overlook that and I still want you to follow me. So the fact that James is in our Bible, the fact that James is numbered uh, uh, with Jesus is a very powerful thing. Uh, My brothers know things about me that nobody else knows and I for one am thankful that they're not here with a microphone right now. But Jesus knew everything about James, yet James still followed him. James, a servant of God, verse number 1, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means James' brother followed his brother Jesus, called him Lord, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, he said. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That's kind of funny sounding. James just said, it ought to put a smile on your face when something comes against you. It ought to make you uh, uh, happy. It it ought to be a, a joyful thing when you recognize that the enemy of God is trying to do something to you. No, there's a lot of old doctrine out there that says if something's going wrong in your life, then you have done something. And there is a ring of truth to that. You can get outside of the will of God in your life, and it's a lot more dangerous. For instance, uh, when Jonah was headed to Nineveh, and, and he decided he wasn't going to go, he got outside of what God had called him to do, and it took an encounter with a big whale to convince him to get back on track. You can get outside of the will of God in your life and things can go a little haywire. But you can also be right smack dab in the middle of the will of God, Moses, and you can have all kind of things come against you. But the Bible says, matter of fact, Jesus' brother, his half-brother said, when the devil tries something against your life, you should count it as joy because if the enemy is trying to stop you, he must recognize that there is something from heaven on the inside of you and he doesn't want you to move forward in it count it all joy the bible says knowing this that the trying verse three the trying or the testing of your faith works or worketh patience 
Now, if we translated that today, it would sound more like this. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance is the thing that makes a marathon runner a victorious marathon runner and not a quitter in the middle of the race. Because there's a place in your life and in my life where you're going to want to throw in the towel. Oh, it's a bunch of holy people over here. They ain't never wanted to throw in a towel. There's a time in your life over here on the left side of the room whenever you're going to want to throw in the towel. And you're not, listen, nobody's mad at anybody. I'm just telling you, you have a flesh. And if you don't think you have a flesh, get in traffic in Houston for about five minutes and you'll find out how much flesh you got left. But sometimes in your life, you're just going to want to throw in the towel. And for you and for me, we have to understand that the testing of our faith produces endurance. That means the more that I am tested, the stronger I'm going to be able to endure tomorrow. And the more I'm able to endure tomorrow, the more people I'm going to drag with me all the way to heaven. The testing of my faith produces endurance. I'm trying to run my race. I'm trying to get there. And if something comes against me, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to run my race. It means I'm going to run over, around, or through that thing while I'm running my race. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance is the thing that gets you to the end. You know, we ought to run our race, the Bible says, as if to attain a prize. That means, and if you look at the Bible, like from a helicopter, just look down from the beginning to the end, you hear some of the same ideas uh, so oftentimes uh, trumpeted. Paul would say things like, run your race like you're going to attain a prize. Press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. And above all things, and I'll paraphrase here, don't quit. My pastor said to me one time in a meeting, we were sitting there having a cup of coffee and he was having a cup of black tea sweetened. And he said to me, if I quit, you don't quit. I said, are you fixing to quit? (laughs) He said, no, I'm never going to quit. He said, but our hope is in the name of the Lord. Not in any other man, not in any other movement, not in any other idea. And there's got to be a decision that you make long before you reach the valley of the shadow of death that you say, if I happen to show up in the valley, I myself am going through the valley and I won't quit there either. There's something about the testing and the trying of your faith that produces overwhelming resilience and perseverance and endurance. The book of Genesis is a powerful book in our Bible. It talks about creation. That's where we find out about uh, uh, how Noah built the ark. It's where we find out about the genealogies and the first genealogies of the people that God created. It's a very powerful uh, uh, book in our Bible. But 20% of our Bible, of, of the book of Genesis, is wrapped up in one story. The story of a man named Joseph. And any time you see that much of a book as prominent and powerful as the first book in our Bible, tied up in one story, we ought to know backwards and forwards what that story has to say. Joseph was a man. He was the son of a guy named Jacob who got his name changed to Israel because he wrestled with an angel. And what happens is, is when you touch God, you ought to be different. 
So he was Jacob before he touched God or before God touched him. And, and now he became Israel, the father of all these nations. His dad's name was Isaac. His grandfather's name was Abraham. He is the representation of the lineage of the covenant of God that continues on down today and rests inside of Jerusalem and spills out into the cities and the rural areas of, of Israel itself. It is the blessing and the covenant of God that rested on Israel that protected his family and everybody else around. He had a son named Joseph. Joseph was a good guy, but Joseph was always a little, always in a little bit of trouble because he kind of saw things outside of the box. Our Bible says that he's a dreamer. Many of you are dreamers and uh, you'll find, unfortunately, that everybody does not appreciate the favor and the anointing on your life. In your life, you're going to come around people that love you for who you are. You're going to come around people that don't love you for who you are. You're going to come around people that love the anointing on your life. And you're going to come around people that hate the anointing on your life. And Joseph, he, he was such a dreamer and he had this dream about his brothers and his parents serving him and all this kind of wonderful stuff. And his brothers, uh, they got bent with him. They were so angry. They said, we got to get rid of this Joseph guy. He thinks he's going to be the man and we're going to have to serve him. So they took, his they took Joseph and they threw him in a pit and they went back to their daddy's house and they said, Joseph was killed by an animal. Here's the beautiful coat that you gave him and they covered it in blood and said, your son, Joseph, who you love, is actually dead right now. They felt guilty about leaving him in a pit. So they said, well, maybe we can make some money off this guy. There's people in your life that you're going to run into that don't have good intentions with the favor that's on your life. They saw the favor on Joseph's life and they said, well, maybe we can make a buck off of him. Maybe we can make a few dollars. So they took him out of the pit and they sold him as a slave. It wasn't long after he was purchased that he became the best slave that ever was. Here's the situation. You should do your work as unto the Lord and let God promote you. Quit being mad at everybody. No, nobody's trying to hold you down. And if they are, they're not stronger than God himself. And he's the one who supports you. He's the one who defends you. So the scripture says that he became uh, the head over this guy's house and then he was lied about because this lady was, was really into him and he wasn't into her because she was already married to the guy that he worked for. So she said, he said, he said no, I, I, I'm not going to mess around with you. And uh, she lied about him and got Joseph thrown in prison. Now, Joseph, this whole time, he's just confessing faith, talking about how good God is, and he finds himself uh, in, a, in a pit, and he finds his brothers lying about him, and he's talking about how good God is, and then he finds himself being sold as a slave, and he's talking about how good God is, and then he finds himself being thrown in prison he didn't do, and I'm just here to tell you that the testing, that the trying of your faith will produce endurance in your life. And he gets into prison and these two guys come up to him and they said, man, what are you guys in for? Now, Joseph has been made the warden of the prison. He's a prisoner and he's the warden of the prison. Because the favor of God on your life can overwhelm your situation no matter what your situation looks like. So he goes and uh, they come to the warden and he goes, okay, you boys are going to be in jail, jail cell A and jail cell B. And oh, by the way, what did y'all do? Did the Pharaoh just have a bad day or what did he throw y'all in here for? 
He said, well, here's the situation. You know, uh, he had these dreams. Nobody can, can tell him what they mean. And he's all whatever about it. And uh, uh, that was later. But he, he says, you know, he just had a bad day. And he got mad with us. And he threw us in. And he said, they said, well, you know, it's pretty bad. And then all of a sudden, the butler and the baker that got thrown in prison, uh, they had a dream, each one of them. And they said, oh, man, we couldn't sleep last night. We had this dream. It messed us up. And Joseph said, well, here's what yours means. Here's what yours means. Both of them came to pass, just like Joseph said. Joseph was a dreamer from way back. And what I really like about Joseph is Joseph didn't allow a negative event in his past to squelch or squander his future that God had put on the inside of him. No, it would have been real easy for Joseph to go, well, I know what that dream means, but the last time I told anybody what a dream was and even talked about dreams, I got thrown in a pit, which got me to Potiphar's house. I got lied about, now I'm in prison. I don't want to mess around with any of you guys. You and I get that way sometimes if we're really honest. We look back and we talk about how good it used to be. What if Joseph had said, I remember what it was like at my dad's house and all he did was focus on the past. He would have missed what God had in his future. If you drove a car here today, you would have noticed something very unique. You have a windshield that's this big and a rearview mirror that's this big. We need to spend our time focusing on what's in front of us and not worrying so much about what's behind us. Joseph could have said, I'm never touching a dream again. But instead, he told them exactly what the dreams meant. One of the men was executed, the other went back to work for Pharaoh, and it wasn't long after that that Pharaoh had a dream. He had a dream about some cows and some hay bales, and everybody got all crazy about it because nobody could tell the Pharaoh what it meant. And all of a sudden, the butler, whom Joseph had told the dream to originally, said there's a man in prison that can interpret dreams, and I think he might be able to help you. So they went and got Joseph, and he went from the pit to a slave to the prison, and now he's in the palace standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to him, here's my dream. It was about these seven cows that were really fat, and then some little bitty skinny cows came and ate them. It was about some hay bales that were really fat, and then some little bitty skinny uh, hay bales came and ate them, seven and seven, seven and seven. And he said, here's the situation, Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years of abundance and then seven years of lack. And God gave you two dreams so you would have confirmation that this was going to happen. And he said to him, he goes, uh, what we need to do is we need to store up the grain from the seven years so that we can be ready for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, in an instant, in a moment, in a breath, he began to bless Joseph. He said, now you will be the prime minister. The only person that ranks higher than you in all of Egypt is me because you and your God can interpret dreams. Now picture Joseph, if he had sat in that prison, cried in his milk and decided, I'm never going to talk about dreams again. No, your life and my life, you're going to have the choice. Unfortunately, things happen. We get hurt we have the opportunity to be offended, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop living for God. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop pursuing God. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop doing our very best because we understand what the Apostle Paul, what uh, James, Jesus' brother said when he said, the testing of our faith produces endurance. Amen. 
So he uh, begins to store up all the grain and just exactly like uh, what Joseph said was going to happen, happened. Uh, famine came seven years later and they began to distribute to all the people of Egypt and the surrounding areas of the grain that they had stored. And two years into the famine, uh, the Bible says that Joseph's family became affected by the drought. Now, in your life and in my life, we have people that we love that walk away from God, and it hurts us so much. And we wish that they would just come back quickly, and we wish that they would just begin to live for God. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time away from the camp for them to recognize what life truly is outside the camp. It took two years of famine before it began to touch Israel in his house, Joseph's father and brothers. But the Bible says that Joseph's brothers came and they wanted to buy grain uh, from Egypt. Now, they didn't know Joseph was alive. They thought Joseph was dead. They thought Joseph was sold as a slave. Surely he must have died by now. And they get there and they don't even recognize him. No, the anointing of God can come on you so strongly that the people in your life that said the worst things about you can't even recognize you for the goodness of God. So Joseph gets to the place and he's standing there and he doesn't tell them who he is. He sells them the grains that they, the grain that they need, sends them on their way and says, uh, bring back your other brother and I'm going to hold one of your brothers here. They come back, he brings uh, Joseph's younger brother, and he's so excited, he's so uh, overwhelmed with joy that the Bible says he began to weep in front of them. No, God can give you a grace where even if somebody throws you in a pit and sells you out completely, you can forgive them by the grace of God. Don't let yourself, don't let your life be affected adversely by what somebody else did to you. Let your life be affected by the one who did everything for you. He goes on and he's crying and finally the Bible says he reveals himself to his brothers. Now this is a very interesting time in our Bible because he begins to weep. Now uh, there's two sides to the coin. You've got to recognize Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. They assumed him to be dead by this point. So as touched as Joseph was, his brothers are looking at effectively a king and wondering, what is this king going to do to us? What is he going to say to us? What is he going to have happen to us? So they're petrified and they begin to uh, talk to him and say, I'm sorry, uh, we didn't realize, we wish we hadn't sent you to Egypt. And Genesis 45 and verse 5 says this, don't be grieved. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. Nor angry with yourself. Isn't this how God talks to us whenever we come to him and apologize? Don't be sad anymore. And don't beat yourself up. Don't be angry with yourself that you sold me. And here's what Joseph said. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. You have family. You have friends, they talk about you, they lie about you, they sell you out at every single opportunity and the devil is hoping that you will allow a seed of bitterness to take root in your life towards them but God is literally sending you out of a situation so that you can deliver them in the future. Joseph gets out and he says, for these two years the famine was in the land and there's five more. 
in the which there shall be uh, for earing nor harvest, meaning it's going to be five more years, guys. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph is there. His brothers are tearing themselves apart because of what they've done to him. And Joseph, in his wisdom, says, Now, wait a minute, guys. You don't have more power than the Lord. I've prayed about every situation I've come across. I've prayed about every circumstance I've come across. And here's the the long and short of it is somebody had to get out of the boat or we would have all been in a mess. Because the famine was coming and God needed to send somebody before the famine so that the rest of your family could be pulled out and taken care of when the time was right. He sent Joseph all the way to Egypt and the Pharaoh thought, man, we are so blessed, look at Egypt. But the reality was is Egypt was blessed because Joseph was there. You've got things going on in your life and you're trying to figure out how's it going to make sense. I need to be in the right place at the right time. Let me tell you something. You're a child of the Most High God. Where your feet are planted is the right place at the right time. God hasn't grown slow. He hasn't grown weak. And if you make a mistake, bless God, His rod and His staff, they can just turn you in the right direction. But we've got to get to the place where we stop blaming our brothers and our sisters and our cousins and our nieces for our predicament and we start saying, God must have put me into Egypt. I'm going to bless somebody somehow, some way while I'm here. There's something about living for God where the testing of your faith begins to produce a perseverance in you where you wake up every single morning and if the devil himself is sitting in your bedroom, your feet still hit the ground and say, you have messed up because I woke up one more day. There's something about living for God and magnifying God and staying faithful in the trials and the tribulation. It makes the mountaintop that much sweeter, let me tell you. I've experienced both. I've experienced doubt and, oh God, I'm so, uh, woe is me, down in the dumps and all these other things. And then he swoops in with a chariot of fire and delivers me from my situation. And I've got to spend a week repenting of why I, tra- why I doubted God in the middle of the valley. And then I've experienced the other two. I've had the hot breath of the devil himself. Breathing on the back of my neck, telling me, you're never going to make it. You'll never be able to buy a building in College Station. You'll never be able to have five acres in College Station. And I woke up every morning, I poured oil on my hands, I rubbed them together and I laid them on my prayer of faith, my, my place of faith, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we will have what the Lord says we're going to have. We got to the other side of the valley and it's way better to get there and see Jesus standing there saying, yeah, it was hot back there, wasn't it? Slap him a Galilean high five and go on to the next valley. There's something about living for God. Whenever you choose that the testing of your faith will determine the fact that you have more perseverance than you had before. And let me tell you what happens. The devil starts leaving you alone. Because if he can't get you to doubt, 
What's he going to do except for further your endurance? Further your perseverance. Joseph said, guys, here's the situation. Somebody had to get out of the boat. I'm not happy about it. I didn't exactly enjoy being in the pit. I actually still have a, a scar right here from where I fell in. Thank you, guys. But where would you buy grain today? Where would you have corn to eat if God had not sent me before? I used to deer hunt close to uh, Lake Conroe, actually on Lake Conroe, and we would take a boat from my house to where our deer lease was. And a good friend of mine, we had this deer lease. It was like 200 acres. And, and, and a few of his children, they were, you know, older teenagers. They wanted to go fishing while we were deer hunting. Great. So we drive to our deer lease in the boat. There's like six teenagers and then me and my friend. And we park like... 500 yards from where our deer lease is, so because we know teenagers are not quiet, so we're assuming they're going to be loud. So we get out and we walk down the thing, and, and we hunt till dark, and we don't get anything. And we come back, and uh, uh, the radio's playing in the boat. No big deal, except for when we tried to crank the boat. The battery was dead. Wah, 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 wah. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, how about them apples it's like 40 degrees no joke it's cold the bank of the of the lake has stumps all over it it's a part of the lake that they didn't pull the stumps out of and we're sitting there and i called a good friend of mine he's here today and i said we need a battery where are you we're in the middle of the woods great so i knew it was going to be 20 minutes at least before he got there. And it was a 500-yard walk to get the boat to where the truck could drive to with the new battery. And I was sitting there, and there's all these kids. And kids these days are different. When, when I was that old and I was with my father, my father would have said, Brian, drag the boat over there so we don't have to wait on the battery too long. But all these kids are just sitting there shivering. I said, well, this is either going to take an hour or three hours. Because if i got to walk over there and get that battery, then come back and do it, it's just going to take forever. So I took my coat off, took my wallet and my phone out of my pocket, and I jumped in the lake. And I started dragging the boat. 500 yards. And, and, and I couldn't just drag it along the, the bank because there's all these stumps. So I had to pull it around this stump. Pull, and, and occasionally, I got like armpit deep. It's 40 degrees outside. The kids in the boat are sitting there laughing and playing these games on the Facebook and, and telling everybody, ha-ha, they're probably taking pictures of me and tweeting it, getting a ride at the lake. <laughs> kind of like skiing. <laughs> and I get over to where our friend's going to bring the, the battery, and I put, I'm soaking wet. And I, and I pull the, the boat up to the battery, up to the, up to the bank, and get the battery and crank it. And, and, and everything's hunky-dory, and I get back in the boat, and now we've got like a 10-mile boat ride. It's 40 degrees, and I'm soaking wet from the armpit down. And this one kid is wearing my jacket. I took my jacket off before I got in the water. He didn't even take it off. And, and, and I look, and my friend goes, is that your jacket? I said, yeah. The kid didn't even offer to give me my jacket back. 
Am I telling the truth? I said, you've got to be kidding moi. These kids these days. Thank God for kids like Alexis. You're not a kid anymore, but you know what I'm saying. She would have given me my jacket back. So we get back, freezing. And now it's a funny story. But the situation is this. To get where we needed to go, somebody had to get out of the boat. Some of you need to take the step. I know it's scary. I know the waters can be troubling. But Joseph took every step in stride. He took every step and used the testing and the trying of his faith to produce more endurance and not to withdraw him from God. I find it so interesting that when we lose our job, God gets the blame, but when we get a job, we get the credit. No, God's not against you. The enemy of God is the devil. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God came sent His Son that you may have life and have it more abundant. But somebody has to get out of the boat. And it feels like you've been thrown in a pit. It feels like as soon as you get out of the pit, you find yourself a slave. As soon as you become uh, get out of the slave thing, you get thrown in prison. And now all of a sudden, uh, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And you're going to have an opportunity to dream again. It's in that moment where you will determine... Whether or not you get to go to the next level or effectively you got to take another lap around Jericho because you're not ready to shout. But in your life and in my life, we have to remember when it feels like we have been thrown away, when everybody else has sold us out, there's a Joseph on the inside of you that was sent out a slave. But when reunion time comes, you'll show up as royalty. You'll be sent out a slave and returned a king. But through the testing and the trying of your faith, perseverance has an opportunity to grow on the inside of you. Give God a hand of praise. Joseph said, it wasn't you that sent me here. It was God himself. When you really believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, when you really believe if you'll acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll direct your path, you'll stop blaming your friends and family. You'll even stop blaming the preacher. When you believe that he can deliver you from any and all situations. Now you have the opportunity to make a real difference. I close with this last point. Joseph had two sons while he was in Egypt. Everybody say two. One named Manasseh and one named Ephraim. Manasseh is interesting because it means this. God has enabled me to forget my troubles. 
Ephraim means this. God has blessed me in the place of my suffering. I know things can get difficult. I know it's hard to forget. But Joseph said, God has enabled me to forget all of my hardships. Look what he's done. He empowered me to deliver my whole family. And I would go through the pit again if it meant I was going to be able to deliver my family. I would go through prison again if it meant I was going to be able to deliver my family. Then he said this. He said, God has blessed me in the land of my suffering. I understand sometimes it's hard to go through things. But God is not a weak God. And right where you are, I don't care if you've been lied about. I don't care if you've been sold. I don't care if the devil has come at you 15 to, Maybe it's your physical body. And he's tried to attack your health. If you look at Job, you can see the areas that God will try to attack you. Excuse me, that the devil will try to attack you. God does not attack his people. He will try to attack your offering, your money. He will try to attack your health. And he will try to attack your family. Sometimes it's your immediate family. Sometimes it's your extended family. Sometimes it's your family of choice. The people that you chose to live life with. But our ways, the God that we serve and the ways that he has established are so far greater. And in the middle of our worst environment, He can give you Holy Spirit amnesia to the people who have harmed you. He can give you a blessing in the middle of your battlefield. He can give you a blessing in the middle of your land of suffering. And in the right season and in the right time, God Himself will deliver you with His mighty right hand.